0: And uh, please can the rest of us turn in our Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is found on page 1100. And 53, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit that if I come again I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking me he is not weak in dealing with you But is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed. Well, let's pray now and ask God to help us as we come to his word. Oh, Lord God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to consider your word now. And we thank you that your word is living and active and powerful. And we pray, Lord, that you'll, that you'll speak to us your, through your word. And Lord, if you... Any of us need to be encourage, encouraged. We'll be encouraged. If any of us need to be challenged, we'll be challenged. If anybody is not yet converted, that that person will realise he or she is not converted and will come to Christ. If anybody is backsliding, we pray that that person will come back to Christ and be restored in his or her. Relationship with you. So please do bless this time now and please work among us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in these verses, the Apostle Paul warns the believers in Corinth that he is going to come to them and that when he comes, if he finds their lives are out of order, he will exercise his apostolic authority and power in order to discipline them. That discipline will be fair, but it will also be powerful. And could potentially be very severe. And so he urges the members of the church in Corinth to examine themselves to see if they really are believers. The implication is that if they are not believers, but have been pretending to be believers then they could be in real trouble. They could be severely disciplined. And they need to repent of their sins and they need to come to to Christ and trust in him as their saviour. And also, if any of them Are believers, but they have been disobedient to Christ. They need to repent and come back to Christ, because they also could come under discipline from the Apostle Paul. Now we live in a very different situation today. Poplar Baptist Church is not Just about to be visited by an apostle who might exercise supernatural discipline against those who profess to be believers but are not living as believers. I can tell you that with confidence because the last apostle who saw the risen Christ died nearly 2,000 years ago. So that is not going to happen. But, the Lord Jesus is living in his church. And he has given to his church the power to discipline those who profess to be believers, but whose lives do not match up with that profession of faith. And the Lord Jesus has promised to back up the discipline of the church with his own authority. And moreover, the Lord Jesus has power. The Lord Jesus is present among his people. And if he so chooses, he has the power to directly discipline his people, even without any church discipline involved. And of course, he's going to come again. And when he comes again, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And when that happens, he will expose the secrets of our hearts. And if we have Deceived ourselves or deceived others into thinking that we are true believers when we are not, then that will be exposed on the final day. And those who have lived that lie will be permanently excluded from the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus will bring in. And if we are believers, but we've been living a life of disobedience then when that day comes that final day of judgment comes we will be saved but what we've lived for in this world will be burned up and we shall be saved only as by fire and so this for uh, these 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 this passage shows us that we need to examine ourselves. We need to consider, am I really a true believer? You might say you're a Christian, but are you really a true Christian? And even if we feel sure and confident that we really are true believers, we also need to examine ourselves to ask ourselves, Am I walking with the Lord as I should be? I might be saved. But is my life what it should be as a Christian? So I hope this morning, whether or not you are saved at this point in time, you will listen very carefully to what is said. And you will heed the message of this passage. This is is one of those searching passages there are some passages of scripture which are very warm and very encouraging and very very much you know the sort of passages which we like to listen to because they remind us of the love of god this is one of those passages which which is quite a challenge but god has put challenging passages as well as encouraging passages in the scripture he knows we need both as it were the carrot and the stick in order to to uh, develop as we should develop and to come to him. And this is one of those, as it were, stick passages that we need to uh, listen very carefully to. Now, let me say a word about the context before we consider uh, the details of this passage. We are in, uh, as many of you will know if you've been in previous, here in previous weeks, uh, we're in that section of this second letter to the the Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is having to defend himself against the charge that he is not a real Apostle. False teachers have come into the church and they've said you can forget about Paul he's not a real Apostle. They're saying you should listen to us. We are the real apostles. And so Paul has therefore had to reassert his credentials as a true apostle of the Lord. Now last week we were looking at chapter 12 and verses 11 to 21. And we saw how the apostle Paul had to rebuke the believers in Corinth for ways in which they had wronged him. Uh, we saw that there were four things that the believers did wrong. First of all, they did not stand up for Paul when they should have done so. Secondly, they believed that Paul did not love them when in fact he did love them a great deal. Thirdly, they had entertained evil suspicions against Paul, which had no basis in reality. And fourthly, they put themselves in grave moral danger... By rejecting the pastor that, they, that God had given to them. And that then leads us to this passage that we're thinking about this, this morning. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Page 1153. For anybody who's just recently arrived. And uh, as we think about this passage. I want to do so under three headings. First of all. I want us to consider why it is important for us to examine ourselves. Secondly, I want us to consider the sorts of questions we should ask ourselves when we do examine ourselves. And then thirdly, I want us to consider what we should do if Having examined ourselves, we realize that something is amiss in our lives. So let us think about this then uh, under these three sections. First of all, I want us to consider why self-examination is important. In in a nutshell, this passage teaches us that self-examination is important... Because we are all accountable to God. Now that applies to us whether we are saved or whether we're not yet saved. We're all accountable to God. If you're not yet saved, then that accountability can land you up in hell. Unless you repent of your sins. If you are saved, you're still accountable to God. You're not going to be sent to hell if you're truly saved. But God can discipline you. So this passage teaches us that we are all accountable to God. And therefore, we need to examine ourselves because if we examine ourselves and deal with our sins ourselves, we find something wrong... either we find we're not saved and we go to Christ for salvation or we realise we are saved and we're backsliding and we repent and come back to Christ if we sort ourselves out then God doesn't have to deal with us because we've come to Christ ourselves but if we persist in our unbelief or in our rebellion then in a sense that forces God's hand ultimately and he has to deal with us. So I want us to notice three things about the, the discipline of God. First of all, the discipline through the apostle here, but then also the discipline of God through the church and directly through Christ. First of all, the discipline of God is fair. Notice what the apostle says in verse 1. He says, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is a direct allusion to the Old Testament law. God said that the the judicial system in the Old Testament must be based upon multiple witnesses. Someone could not be punished on the basis of mere hearsay or on the basis of just one person coming forward and making a complaint. So we read in Numbers 35 verse 30, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verses 15 and 16, we read, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offence that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Now, Jesus alludes to the same verses... When he talks about the discipline that is exercised by the church. So in Matthew chapter, 6, chapter 18 and verses 15 to 18 we read that Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So churches, Jesus said, churches when they exercise discipline must make sure that they do so in a way which is manifestly fair and only when there are multiple witnesses of wrong doing which has happened and has not been repented of. Now what was true for the apostle and what should be true also for church discipline that it must be absolutely fair and based on proper witnesses, is also, of course, true when the Lord Jesus exercises discipline himself directly. Suppose the Lord, as, as, as he can do, makes somebody ill for the fact that he or she has been living a life of disobedience, a professing Christian, the Lord strikes down with illness, or even causes to die prematurely. The Lord will only do that on the basis of truth. The Lord knows people's hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're doing and why we're doing it. And he can see exactly the motivation that's driving us. The Lord deals with people Deals with his people on the basis of truth. He doesn't deal with people in an arbitrary way. And this is also true as regards the final judgment. When Jesus comes again, everything about our lives will be revealed the motivations of our hearts will be revealed the things we've done in secret will be revealed our our innermost thoughts will be revealed whether we've truly trusted in him as savior and lord or not will be revealed and the lord will deal with each one of us completely fairly and rightly those who are truly saved He'll welcome into heaven those who've served him, those those who are saved and have served him, he will reward and bless. Those who are saved but have lived very careless lives, they will not have so much of a reward. And those who are exposed on that final day to be unsaved, he will deal with and he'll send to hell and he'll give just exactly the right punishment to them. The discipline of God is based upon truth. The second thing to say is this, from this passage, that the discipline of God may be severe. Look at verse 2. Paul says, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Now, what we need to remember is that as an apostle, Paul had very extraordinary powers. His fellow apostle, Peter, pronounced by the Holy Spirit that death of Ananias and Sapphira uh, when when he confronted them about having lied to the church. That's recorded in in, in the book of Acts, in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And both Ananias and Sapphira dropped down dead instantaneously. Uh, Paul himself caused a man who opposed the gospel to be struck with blindness. And Paul was capable of if necessary of exercising similar powers when he came to the church in Corinth now we do not today have apostles who can exercise such powers but we should not underestimate the strength of the discipline which a church is able to exercise. In the passage that I just read from Matthew chapter 18, Jesus went on to say that if a person who professed to be a believer would not listen to the church, uh, he, he, sorry, I just mentioned just now that Jesus said that a person who professed to be a believer who does not listen to the church should be treated as a pagan or a tax collector now there is nothing worse than that for a person in spiritual terms for a person who was once a uh, a, a, a in in fellowship with god's people to be removed from the blessing of the fellowship of the Lord's people to be out on his own in the wilderness removed from all the blessings that could be known through, through, through fellowship through hearing preaching through the Lord's Supper it's a very severe thing it's not to be taken lightly you know, some people think oh well so what if they don't want me in their membership well it's a very severe thing you need to be very careful And moreover, we need to remember that whether or not uh, the the church exercises discipline, the Lord himself is able to exercise discipline of his people where that is necessary. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 29, uh, 29 and 30... This is not when he was present in the church. This was when he was far away from the church. He says that some members of the church had become ill. And some had died prematurely. Because they had misused the Lord's Supper. He says uh, anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body. Eats or drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. God's discipline can be very severe. Hebrews ten verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now that's talk, addressed to Christians. Our God is a consuming fire. And we should remember that for those who are not saved, the punishment of hell will be unspeakably horrible. Jesus said that those who are not saved will be sent away to everlasting punishment. They'll be sent to the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said that in hell the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So the discipline of God is just. The discipline of God is Can be very severe. And thirdly, the discipline of God is supernaturally powerful. So Paul says in verses 3 and 4 Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God for we also are weak in him but in dealing with you we will live with him by the power of God. Now some believers in Corinth doubted that that, uh, Christ spoke through the Apostle Paul. They said oh, oh no, no. God's not with him. They said he's with these other apostles. But no, no, he's not with Paul. He's just a weakling. Look at him. He's got no money. He's got poor health. He's got no popularity. He's always in prison. No, no. God's power is not with him. But Paul has to say to them, you'll find out. When I visit you, you'll find out that I do have power. I might look weak, he says, but you'll find out that the power of God is working through me. Just as Jesus looked weak when he hung on that cross and then God raised him from the dead, so he says, I look weak, but actually that resurrection power is at work in me and through me and you'll see it. Now, similarly, as I say, we don't have apostles today, but when a church exercises discipline on behalf of Christ, obviously, as long as those judgments that that the church makes are valid and right, of course we must say that. But if those judgments that the church makes are valid and are right, then they are backed up jesus said by heaven I, I read earlier from matthew 18 the teaching of jesus on church discipline that he goes on to say as recorded in verses 18 to 20 he says i truly i say to you whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now in the context, to bind here means to not extend forgiveness to the unrepentant sinner. It's saying we're not going to forgive this person as long as he continues in this sin. We're going to treat this person as an unbeliever. We're not going to forgive him. We cannot forgive him in that sense. Not as bitterness. But in that sense, we're not going to regard this person as being right with God. And what Jesus is saying is that when a church makes that decision before God, clearly, obviously, under the assumption that that is a valid and right decision, But the hope that God himself will back up that decision. The authority of heaven itself will be behind that decision. What a solemn thing that is. And so we should never treat the discipline of the church as a light thing. Some of us know of a situation where a church... Felt it necessary to exercise discipline against a a prominent man. And this man has poured contempt upon the decision of the church. It's a very serious thing to do. And uh, the Lord uh, will uphold. He promises, Jesus promises, the Lord will uphold the decision of the church. And similarly, when the Lord directly disciplines those who profess to be believers, he exercises supernatural power. And clearly, of course, at the final judgment, the mighty supernatural power of Christ will be displayed. He will come on the clouds of heaven. The dead will be raised. No one will be able to to withstand his, his power. The king will sit on his throne. The king will pronounce who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. He'll pronounce exactly what the the appropriate reward for those who are in heaven and the appropriate judgment for those who are in hell. And what he says will happen. The supernatural power of God will be displayed on that day. And so we see then that although we do not have apostles today, the discipline of Christ and the judgment of Christ through his church and directly and on the final day is just, it can be severe and is supernatural. And so that's why we need to judge ourselves. That's why we need to test ourselves. That's why we need to examine ourselves. Because we need to say to ourselves, am I an unbeliever? Am I a backslider? Could it be that I am one of these people? We shouldn't just assume, oh, everything's fine, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Whoa, don't just assume that. Are you, am I, really saved? We need to ask that question, don't we? And even if you are sure you're saved, you need to ask yourself, am I really walking with the Lord as I should be? So this is why we need to examine ourselves. Because if we examine ourselves, if we judge ourselves and say, and then we realize, whoa, something's not right here. Well, then we can do something about it. We can go to Christ before he has to do something with us. And so it's really important that we should, we should do this. So as Paul writes in 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So let me now go on to consider with us what how we should examine ourselves so we go now to verse 5 where the apostle Paul says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves or do you not realise this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test he says to them you need to examine yourselves you need to test yourselves are you really saved? do you remember how Jesus warned us as recorded in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 he says not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me Lord, Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and Jesus said and I will declare to them I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They had a great profession. They called Jesus Lord. They reckoned they were doing great, mighty miracles in his name. But Jesus said, I never knew you. You're a worker of lawlessness. What a terrible thing it would be to assume, to go through your whole life assuming, oh yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a member of the church. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You go through your whole life assuming these things, and then you die, and then you wake up in Hades, in torment. What am I doing here? I thought I was going to go to heaven. But then it's too late. So we need to examine ourselves. Now, I did actually do a three-part series on this verse in September 2020 when I went into this in quite some detail. And um, those sermons are still out there. I checked this morning. Um, They're on YouTube. If you search for Test Yourself, Henry Dixon Church, search yourself, Test Yourself. And they're also there on Sermon Audio as well. So you can check those out. And, And they go into some detail about the sort of examinations we can do ourselves. I'm not going to go through in detail like that, but let me just give you a sketch this morning of some of the sorts of questions we should ask ourselves. First first question. Am I convinced that the Bible is the Word of God? Do I believe? Yes. Yes. Word for word, I know in my heart. Yes, word for word. This is the very word of God. Number two. Do I believe and with my whole heart, not just in an intellectual way, but do I believe with my whole heart what the Bible says about God, that he's the creator of all things, he's the ruler of all things. What the Bible says about Jesus, that he's... That he's the, the eternal son of God. He took on human flesh. He died on the cross. Was raised from the dead. Is coming again in glory. Do I believe these things with my heart? Thirdly. Have I ever really known the conviction of sin? Have I ever sort of seen myself as a terrible, hell deserving sinner? That if I got what I deserved, I would immediately be sent to hell. Fourthly, have I ever truly repented of my sins and turned away from them and, and, and said I'd never want to do those things ever again? Of course, none of us is perfect, we know that. But has there been a fundamental shift in my life from what it was to before? Fifthly, do I depend on Christ and him alone for salvation? Not relying upon my own good works, not not my attempts to live a good life, not thinking, oh, I'll get to heaven because I've done this or because I've done that, but I trust in him, Jesus alone, to make me worthy of heaven. Another question, do I have love for other believers? Do I see them as my brothers and sisters? Which I never used to do before, but now I do. I see them as my, my brothers and sisters, my family. Another question. Have I really experienced the rebirth? Do I know the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Has the Holy Spirit changed me? Do I know the comfort and the peace that the Holy Spirit brings? So what these questions are asking is not, have you prayed some sort of a prayer? You see, there's lots of people who say, oh, pray a prayer after me. And if you've prayed that prayer, well, you're born again, you're saved, you're a Christian. But there's no change in that person's life. No, no. What makes you a real Christian is this deep work of God whereby you you are convicted of the truth of Christ. You're convicted of your sin. You believe in your heart. You turn from your sin. You trust in Jesus for salvation. Now, as I've gone through that list, I hope and pray that a lot of people sitting in here in this room will have said, tick, by God's grace, tick, 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 and you say, yeah, wow, I'm saved, wow, amazing, I don't know how it happened, but the Lord's done that in me, I can see these things that he's done in my life, praise the Lord, yes, indeed, but let me just, before we just think, okay, that's examination over, those of us who are saved also need to ask some questions of ourselves, Let me ask you some questions. Let me suggest some questions for you to examine yourself with as a Christian. Which I have to examine myself. I believe I'm saved. But I have to examine myself with these questions as well. Question number one. Is there some sin that I'm indulging at the present time that I'm not turning away from? Could it be greed, lust, pride, envy, bitterness, resentment, ingratitude to God, anger, some other sinful attitude which I'm allowing to linger in my mind? I'm saved, I believe you're saved, but... There's some sort of sin which is being allowed to to dwell, being allowed to linger, being tolerated. Here's another question. Has my love for Christ grown lukewarm? Or perhaps even cold? Do you remember the church church? Laodicea, this love for Christ to become lukewarm. Church in Ephesus, you've lost your first love. What's your love for the Lord like at the moment? Are you inflamed with desire for God? That's just a challenge for me, a challenge for you. What, what is your love, your, your spiritual love life like? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Next question. Do the things of God have the place in my life and in my weekly schedule that they should? Reading God's word. Personal prayer. Meeting with the Lord's people. Do these things have the priority that they should have in, in my weekly schedule? Is my life built around the Lord or is the Lord a sort of a little add-on a little extra to the other things that I'm really engaged in another question am I using my money as I should use it am I being generous as I should be generous am I Am I being careful about my expenditures? Another question. Are there habits that I am indulging that I should not be indulging? Eating too much, for example. Drinking too much. Spending too much time on social media, maybe. Or on Netflix. Or whatever it is that... that, that, you know there's a habit in your life that that is it is out of control and so we all need to examine ourselves we should we should not spend our whole lives in examination otherwise we would very easily get very depressed but there are times when we need to take stock there are times when we need to look stop Say, how, is things, how are things at the moment? And then take action. Now, last thing. What should we do if we find that something is not as it should be? Now, this isn't actually dealt with in the passage here, but I will, just from our general knowledge of Scripture, let me give you some pointers. What should you do? if you? First of all, what should you do if you look at this And you examine yourself and you say, well, actually, I'm not sure I'm saved. Well, the answer is, well, let me give you, tell you what not to do. Number one, don't think, right, I've got to try really hard now. I've got to be an extra good, nice person. That won't save you. Another thing, don't... uh, Harden your heart to say, "Oh, I, I'm fed up with all this frightening people. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it out of my mind." No. Go to Jesus. Just pray a simple prayer. Say to Jesus, "I don't. I, I. You might might say this. I always thought I was a Christian. I always thought I believed in you, but I've got this horrible suspicion. I've never really been saved." If that's true, please save me today. I believe you died on the cross for sinners. I want to leave my sinful life. And I want you to save me. Something like that. In your own words, I don't need to pray it for you. You can pray to the Lord right where you are. We're going to have a moment of quietness after this sermon in a moment. And that's exactly what you can pray. Lord, please save me. What if you've, we've gone through this list and you've thought, I do believe I'm saved, but I've got to be honest, my life isn't what it should be as a Christian. Let me tell you what not to do at this point. Be very careful because the devil will then try to make you miserable. You say to you, ah, look at the rubbish Christian you are. Ah, you can't imagine God will love you. You're useless, you're rubbish. And you'll try to rub your nose in it and try to make you feel really depressed. But what we need to remember is that the whole point of us being challenged and convicted is to go to Christ. Christ. And with Christ there is forgiveness. You see, there's a difference between Judas and Peter. Both sinned terribly. Both felt utterly miserable afterwards. But Judas just allowed himself to sink in depression and despair. But Peter went to Christ. And that's what we need to do. If you're a Christian, you know you've messed it up. You know you are not been how you should be. Don't just sink into depression. Don't just feel sorry for yourself and loathe yourself. But go to Jesus. Because he's standing with his arms wide open. And he's just been waiting for that moment when you say, All right, Lord, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Hold my hands up. I was wrong. And then he'll throw his arms around you. He'll pour his grace into your life again. Just don't be stubborn. Don't be rebellious. Just come to him. He's ready to pour his grace into your life. So come to him. And let him bathe you with his goodness. And restore you. And strengthen you. And fill you with the Holy Spirit. Well, um... Let's just do that now. Let's have that time of prayer. Let's just be completely quiet and still before the Lord uh, for a few moments. Um, And you can pray what you believe is right, either to be saved or if you feel the need to repent in some way to come to the Lord, you can ask the Lord to forgive you. But let's all have that own personal time with the Lord now.